chapter 2. This is one of the classic Christmas passages, so if you would join your voices with me. Sorry for the small screen, our projector is being fixed. So, uh, a couple more weeks. Let's uh, turn our attention to God's Word. Let's read out loud together, Luke 2, 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Home is such an important word for us, isn't it? Home. You know the phrase, home is where the heart is? For some of you who are Wizard of Oz fans, remember what Dorothy says? She clicks her heels together. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And even though um, the realty industry would tell us that they sell homes, the reality is that they sell houses. And we hope that houses become homes. Home is so important. It has connotations of being known, of belonging, of warmth, of being loved, of comfort, of safety, and of peace. Home is such an important word to us. It's such an important word that's part of our vernacular around the holidays. That's why the theme for this year's Christmas series as we're preaching through this is no place like home for the holidays. We associate home with the holidays. Those go together in our minds so deeply. And in, the, in the, these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're looking at each of these kind of the very famous passages around the coming of Jesus and the hospitality of God, the making a home of, with God that th these are about. Um, last week, we looked in John 1 about how it's part of the incarnation, part of what Jesus is up to, that he comes among us and pitches his tent among us in order to call us his children, to invite us home. And, and today, I want to flip that and talk about the other side of that. That part of what it means to be a Christian is to make your life, your soul, a home for God. Do you hear the words in Hark the Herald, angels sing? We didn't sing all of them just a moment ago, but there's a, there's a line in that. Fix in us your humble home. 
That's part of the theme of what we hear over and over at Christmas time. And this passage is the famous Charlie Brown. Linus reads this one in the Charlie Brown uh, Christmas pageant. And it contains a line that's really critical for us to consider this morning about home. And it's this one, no home, as in no place for Jesus, no room in the inn, no room. And, and what does this mean, no room in the inn? And how does it inform us with what we do with Jesus? That's what we're speaking about, thinking about this morning. Now, the traditional understanding of the Christmas story goes this way. A holy family gets news that there is a worldwide tax. They go back to Joseph's hometown. Joseph's got very, very pregnant Mary on a, on a donkey, and he's leading her through the Judean uh, countryside. They arrive in town, and there are no vacancy lights up in all the windows of the hotels, right? There's, and, and there's an innkeeper. There's a, traditionally the innkeeper who's standing at the door like this going, nope, no room in the inn. Uh, so they go to a cave, or they go to a stable, uh, and they have the baby, and of course, they have anywhere else to stick the baby, because you're trying to stick the baby somewhere, so you put it in the feed trough, right? The, the manger, uh, and angels too, this is the sign they give the shepherds, you're not going to believe it. This is how you'll know that this is the baby king, because he's in a manger of all things, right? Like, unthinkable. This is, uh, nobody puts babies in mangers, and um, that's the folklore around this story, and I want to ask, is that re the real story? I want to look this morning about this, um, some of the misconceptions of Christmas. Particularly this one, the no room in the inn misconception. Uh, as if like the inn had lots and lots of rooms and all of the keys to all the rooms were already handed out at this point. Um, and mangers, I mean, who has a manger? Who has a manger inside a house? Well, it turns out everybody. So let's look at this uh, together. What is, no room in the end. So in the Middle East, even up to today, in most villages and poor communities, people don't have stables or barns. In fact, if you read some of Jesus's parables, when he talks about barns or stables, usually the word there is for a storage room. It's kind of brought into our language as barn. Um, but only people of incredibly great wealth had a separate building apart from their house for agriculture. 99.99% of people in first century and even 20th century Judea have one house, one house, one building with, in most cases, one, maybe two rooms. So the main room, let's look at this slide here, is a family room. That's where everybody eats, cooks, and sleeps. And there's a little line there, which is really uh, symbolizing a change in elevation, not a wall. There's a drop down where the animals live. The animals come in at night. Uh, think about this. There's a door that serves an entrance for people at one end of the house. There's a door for the animals at the other end of the house. Because every night, the family, who is of very limited resources, would bring their most valuable possessions, their livestock, into the room with them. And they would stay in the lower section. They're separated by a newer wall right there. But they're in a lower section of the same room. This is for warmth. This is for security. 
this provides heat. I mean, animals give off heat. And every morning, they'd clean out that entire area and drive the animals outside. The elongated circles, right there, you can see actually one uh, triangle there. Uh, the mangers for the larger animals were up on that wall. So a cow sleeping upright overnight could reach over and eat out of the manger. The mangers for the smaller animals were on the floor below for like sheep and goats. Uh, dirt and water naturally move downhill. So every day, part of the, the family's chores would be to roll up the sleeping mats, sweep out from the top of the family room all the way down into the animal area, and then clean all that out from overnight. So for more than 100 years, scholars in the Middle East have understood this passage, Luke 2.7 is referring to a family room with mangers cut in the floor at one end. So if this is true, why do we say there was, what's, what's this about an inn? What's all this about no room in the inn? What, what was full, for example? As I said, a lot of times we have in our minds pictured this sort of like no vacancy light, lighted up as the Holy Family kind of trudge into uh, Bethlehem, really, really tired, about to have the baby. All the inns are taken, so there's nowhere to go. But the, the word for inn, right there in the Greek, Greek is just the word that means space. It's like, I don't have any space in my trunk for those boxes. There's no space. There's no space for them. Now, what space are they referring to? The, the word for inn actually is a word which means all and receive in Greek, like receiving all. And it's a, there's a word for that in the New Testament. In the Good Samaritan story, the Samaritan finds a man beat up on the road, lying in a pool of blood, and he patches up his wounds and takes him to an all-receive place, to a hotel, to a commercial inn, a place that would receive all. But that's not what's here. Uh, in and instead, I think this is what's being referred to. Let's go one more slide. In a house, there was often another room. And sometimes this would be on the top of the house, built like an extra room up high. Sometimes this would be in a corner of a house. This one shows it like a whole section. Um, that's, it's, the word, uh, it's, it's a word here which Jesus uses later on in Luke chapter 22. It's right before he's about to be crucified. He says, behold, he tells his disciples, here's how you can get ready for our last supper. Go into the city... And you're going to see a person carrying a water jar. You're going to follow them. And you're following them to the house. And you're going to say, tell them the teacher needs the guest room, the cataluma, where I'm going to eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Hospitality is and was an enormous value in the Middle East. Always has been. Goes back to the first chapters of Genesis. Taking in strangers, bringing people into your home was a huge value. Elijah found a woman who had this upper room built on top of her house for him to stay in. So here's what we learned about the Christmas story. Luke tells the readers that the baby was, and the family, there was no room in the guest room. So the family must have put them in the only room that they had the animal room. And wrapping up the baby, they put the baby in what's right there, the manger. Not a dirty, smelly stable, but a warm place that was prepared every day for not only their own animals, but for hospitality. This is what we read about in the, in, um, the Christmas story. 
And this is confirmed by what happens, the exchange between the shepherds and the angels. The angels tell the shepherd they would find the baby wrapped and lying in a manger. And what the shepherds hear in that is, poor home, like mine. Poor house, poor family, like my family. The baby didn't come to the governor's palace or a mansion or to the wealthy. And so they rejoice and they go follow this good news and they go see the baby. And upon arrival, they, they praise God for, it says they leave, praising God for all that they had seen and heard. And I think that probably includes the accommodations, the hospitality that they saw. Clearly they found the Holy Family in perfectly acceptable accommodations. You know, if on arrival they'd found a smelly stable and uh, a frightened young mother and a desperate Joseph, they would have said, oh no, you've got to come stay with my people. This will not stand. Instead, they rejoiced and they went on their way. The shepherds knew from this, they couldn't offer better hospitality than what had been offered the Holy Family. Now I know this read on this, this info on the Cataluma, the no room in the inn, it messes up some nativity scenes maybe some Christmas cards, definitely blows up some Christmas pageants with the angry innkeeper. By the way, did anybody ever play the angry innkeeper? Nobody here? Okay. I've been in churches before. People have definitely, that's in the role. Uh, But it's just not a story of rejection. It's not a story of being inhospitable. It's a story of hospitality, of welcome, of welcoming Jesus in. And so Luke 2 instead of showing us what not to do with Jesus, actually shows us what to do with Jesus. To welcome him in, to offer him hospitality, to welcome him into your life and your home. And Jesus makes, loves to make his home with sinners. So here's the first application for you this morning, out of three. Have you made accommodation for him in yourself, in your soul, in your life. As I said at the beginning, this idea of home, as we see in the, the record of the incarnation, it works two ways. As I said last week, all humans, no matter how great your family of origin was or how awesome, if your parents still have your original bedroom from when you were a kid and everything was awesome in your childhood, every human comes into this world with the deep feeling of homesickness. Homesickness for a home you've never been to. That you're not quite, everything's not quite right here. And never has been, and you're not sure it ever will be. And this is because you are made by God as an infinite being on the inside. On the outside, skin and bones, right? You look like everybody else. On the inside, you have an eternal soul. If you could, on the inside of you, like a well, take a big rock and drop it down that well, you would never hear the splash because you are made for God. And the story of John 1, the story of the incarnation is God coming and saying, you, I want you children of God. The other side of that though, is that God wants to make a home in you. In you, he comes to give us to enter into us. There's, a, there's an old passage that is referenced and actually uh, 
made images of many times from Revelation 3. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There's a famous painting of this. Jesus on the outside of a door knocking. There's no doorknob on the outside. Only the person on the inside can open the door and let Jesus in. And let Jesus in. And Jesus, this is the hope of Christmas, right? Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to come make his home in you. He wants to take up residence in your life. This is our God. This is what he's like. But I want you to hear something else in that invitation. Jesus knocks and Jesus brings dinner. Now we always have college students among us in our church. It's a regular thing we expect. Uh, college students know all about Parents Weekend. Am I right? Parents Weekend is a big joke. I think it was invented by college students because this is how Parents Weekend works. You come visit me, spend money on me, take me out to eat and buy me some stuff. That's Parents Weekend, okay? That's how that works. Um, and essentially, this is what Jesus is doing. This is the ultimate Parents Weekend. Jesus knocks on the door. Can I come in? And by the way, I'm bringing the feast. I'm bringing the feast with me. Uh, one writer, one, one preacher, Charles Spurgeon, in preaching on that passage from Revelation 3, he says this, Jesus will come in and sup with us. Old language, sup with us. He'll come in and eat with us. That is, we shall be the host and we'll entertain him. But then he says, and with me. That is, Jesus will be the host and the guest by turns. We will give him our best, but poor fare, that is, too poor for him. And yet he will partake of it because he's that gracious. But then he shall play the host and we will be guest, the guest. And oh, how we will feast on what he gives. Christ comes and brings the supper with him and all we do is to find the room. The master says to us, where's the guest chamber? And then he makes ready and spreads out his royal table. There is no life too sinful, too vile, too broken, too dirty, too stained, that Jesus does not want to enter in. None. Jesus is no respecter of persons. No dirt, no sin, no hypocrisy, no unworthiness, no stupid choices, no life-changing consequences will keep him out. The only thing that keeps Jesus out, two things, pride and fear. I don't want him to mess with me. Or I don't know if I can let him in. Pride and fear. But he isn't afraid. And your life isn't too jacked up. It isn't too bad. Jesus wants fellowship with you. He wants to make his home in you. He doesn't want to just come for parents weekend. He wants to move into the dorm room. He wants to make his home in you, in you. Do you see what kind of ridiculous hospitality that Jesus offers sinners? Okay, I want to invite you. If you've never opened the door to him, to risk this, this Christmas. Let him come in. 
He's not going to make it worse. He can only make it better. He will only bring his beauty and his life and his peace and his joy. Will you let him in? Now, second, second application. This is for those of you who call yourself Christians. Who've, maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Because making room for Jesus is not just a one and only one time thing. And it's not an all at once thing. So you can't just say, oh yeah, I remember back in October of 2017 when I opened up my life to the Lord. That was great back then. No, no, you're missing it. Because what Jesus wants to do in us is so much bigger. There was a little book written by a pastor in the last century uh, named Robert B. Munger that imagines a house as an allegory for discipleship. And it's written, it was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it was an imaginative reading of this passage. And this little bit pictures your life as a giant house. Now, don't think the first century Palestinian houses we just saw. Think uh, the board game Clue. (laughs) Think mansion. Think expansive house. Now, why would I say that? Didn't I just tell you that on the outside you look finite, but on the inside drop the rock down the well So it just keeps going because on the inside, you are made for God. So your life is like a house with so many wings and rooms. And Robert Munger imagines this and imagines inviting Jesus into a tour of your house. You've invited him in, but now he wants to go walk around with you and see some of the rooms. And so you've got your keys. You're like, okay, I'm going to start opening some doors and showing them around. So, um, uh, let me walk through this. First, he imagines the study. Now, again, picture the board game Clue. Uh, big room with shelves on the, on the walls filled with books and magazines on magazine racks and tables with periodicals and pictures on the wall. And Munger says, I invited Jesus into this room. And I watched him. I followed his gaze as he looked around. And, and I became uncomfortable. Strangely, I had not felt self-conscious about any of what I'd had in there before. But now that he was there looking at these things, I sort of felt embarrassed. Some of the books were there. Were, his eyes were too pure to behold. On the table were a few magazines that I probably had no business reading. As far as the pictures on the walls, the imaginations, the thoughts of my mind, some of these were shameful. And red-faced, I turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know some things in this room need to be redone. Uh, need to be cleaned out and made over. Would you help me do this? Jesus said, oh, I'd be delighted to help clean up your thoughts. Then imagine going to Jesus with Jesus to the dining room and you pull out the keys and you unlock the door. This is the room of your appetites and desires. Munger says, I spent a lot of time here. One of my favorite places to go was the dining room. Um, I spent a lot of time here working hard to satisfy my wants and desires. I say to Jesus, Jesus, this is my favorite room. I'm sure you're gonna be happy with what we serve here. He seated himself at the table and asked, what's on the menu for dinner? Oh, I said my favorite dishes. Uh, Being attractive, being successful, being liked by other people, having lots of securities and stocks and money in the bank, having a great home, having a great body, great vacations and experiences. These are the things that I liked. This is what I wanted to eat. But when the food was placed before him, he said nothing. He didn't eat it. I said, Jesus, don't you like my food? 
Don't you, what's the problem? Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of my Father. Stop seeking just to satisfy your own pleasures, desires, and satisfaction. Seek to please the Lord. That food will satisfy you. Next, we went out to the garage, and Jesus saw my workbench. Out in the garage of the home, I had a work, workbench with some equipment, but I wasn't really doing much with it. He looked over the workbench and said, well, hey, this is quite well furnished. Seemed to be a little projects that you've got going on here. What are you working on? I showed him my projects, and he said, is this the sort of thing that you want to produce in your life? Well, I said, Lord, I know it isn't much, but I kind of like to do more, but I don't have much strength or skill. Would you like me to help you? He asked. Yes, I replied. He said, let me have your hands. Now relax in me and let my spirit work through you. I know that you are unskilled, clumsy, and awkward, but the Holy Spirit is the master workman. And if he controls your hands and your heart, he will work through you. Next, we went on to the rec room, right around the corner in the basement. Again, I had to unlock the door. And this represents, of course, your entertainment, your downtime, your fun. And again, Munger imagines bringing Jesus into this room, but finding it sort of, he find it sort of deficient. Because while Jesus loved a good party and loved laughter and fun, he offers deeper joy and happiness than the escapes and distractions that I often go to at the end of the day. Coming into this room, Jesus says, solid joys and lasting pleasures. This is what I have for you, not momentary diversions. Finally, the hall closet. Munger then imagines walking up the stairs with Jesus and Jesus saying, oh, what does that go to? Oh, you don't need to see that, Jesus. That's just a hall closet. Well, it smells bad. There's something in there doesn't smell good. He goes over and tries the handle, and of course it's locked. So I pulled out the keys. Reluctantly, I went with him over to the door, and I, as he asked to open the door, I said, you know, this is really too much. I've let you into all these areas of my life. Isn't that good enough? I mean, you've been in the dining room. You've been in the rec room. You've been in the work room. You've been in my study. I mean, that's plenty for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, you can't imagine that I want to stay in this house with that smell. So reluctantly, I opened the door. Jesus, I can't clean this out. You're going to have to do it. Gladly, he said. You know, the allegory is a little trite. Maybe you're like, that's kind of hokey. But I love it. Because I think, like the picture that Munger gives, a Christian is a person who's enormous on the inside. All these rooms that Jesus wants to inhabit and bring his light and his life and his joy into all these areas he wants to make your life, all of it, his home. He wants you not just to open up a few doors, but to say, Jesus, here you go. All the rooms, here are the keys. It's all yours. You know, if you think about this morning, and there, there are plenty of ways you could draw this out, but are there areas of your life that are closed off right now? I, I would hesitate to say that's true for everybody, every person. There are parts of my life that I'm like, Jesus, you are in, but I don't want you to be into that part. There are parts of our lives that are unyielded, unopened to him. 
And part of the invitation of Christmas is to release the grip of your hands on your life. You know, we walk around so closed, so uptight, so guarded. And I want you to hear this invitation, just like for the, that family opening up their home, opening up your home on the inside, your interior life to him and allowing him in. Last one, last application. And this one's going to feel like a complete change of subject, but bear with me because it's not. Letting strangers into your home. Letting strangers into your life. Now, hospitality in our world is a thing you can go get a degree in. You can go get a degree in the hospitality industry. You can learn all about being in the hospitality industry. And you learn that, that can mean like convention centers and hotels and providing banquets and all those things. And that's great. But that's not that's what our world means by that. That's not what the Bible means by that. Hospitality is a word that has some deep roots in the Bible that combines two words that we would normally not put together. Philos, which is love, and xenos, like xenophobia, being afraid of strangers. Love of stranger. Love of somebody different. Jesus tells us anybody can show hospitality or kindness or welcome or generosity for people who can pay them back and are like them, that they know. But kindness to the stranger, welcoming the stranger, I mean, that's what we happened in Luke 2. There's a family in history who opened their home, who opened up the animal part of their home to a family who needed a place to stay, literally welcoming in the stranger. Listen to the New Testament, all these words about this. Offer hospitality with one another without grumbling. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This is our call to demonstrate our faith by offering hospitality to strangers. And this is nowhere pictured better, of course, than in this one parable Jesus tells right at the end of his life. The parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's a picture of the final judgment where Jesus, all these people are coming toward him and he's separating them. Now remember, all these are livestock. And he separated, separates them though on which demonstrated their faith by demonstrating it toward the stranger. Toward caring for the sick, the poor, the naked, the prisoner. And at the final judgment, these people who are therefore designated sheep don't even know that they did that. Jesus says, you did this. When you did this, you were actually doing it unto me. You were doing it. Those acts of kindness you didn't know were acts of kindness counted even toward me. Now, don't spiritualize this sermon away. Yes, God wants to dwell inside of you, in your life, in every part of your soul. He wants to come make a home inside of you. He wants to fill every part of it with himself. Man, this is what's awesome about being a Christian. We don't have a God who's out there somewhere. We have a God on the inside who wants to come in and, and fill our, home, our, our, our very selves with light and life. But that's not only true on the inside of us, but on our real houses too. Our actual cars and our lives if the calling of my heart, Christ's home, is to invite Jesus, give him the keys to your interior life, 
Then the calling of this last point is to give him the keys to the rest of the outside part of your life. Your stuff, your house. Again, I know we are such careful people. We're so afraid of being taken advantage of, uh, being inconvenienced, being exhausted by draining people. I understand that. Um, there are lots of ifs, and, and buts you can make to this sermon right now. Stop it. What if this is what God wants to do? What if God wants to not only fill the inside of your life, but the outside of your life with him? What if God has plans that will disrupt your plans? And what if God has purposes and people that will disrupt and yet bring joy? You know, if you had been in Bethlehem 2023-ish years ago, there would have been a young couple who needed a place to stay and someone in history. I wish we knew their names, don't you? Some family. You can use our animal area. The guest room's full, but man, we're glad to have you. You can be sure that that family was blessed and encouraged by that, that Christmas. Here's my call. Here's the, do this with yourself, with your life, with your soul. God, I'm so closed up, so closed off, so guarded, so careful. Let's see what he does. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story, which is old and yet new all the time. Thank you for a Savior who wants so much to be with sinners that he would come in Thank you that it is really true that there is no life too broken, too sinful, too dirty. Lord, thank you that you promise to bring joy. Thank you that you want to get into the hall closet. Thank you, Lord, that you actually want to come and disrupt our schedules and our lives on the outside too. Open our hearts, open ourselves, open us up to what you might do in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and respond in song together?